Melanated family. So we back. This is the Thursday edition of the Melanated Convo podcast. Me and my sister Sonia is back in pocket. Back on Thursday, the way we need to be, man. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Melanated Convo podcast, where we have interesting interviews, interesting conversations about black life, black experiences, how this country is affecting us, how we're affecting ourselves. It's, it's the Melanated Convo, man. We digging deep into what happens to the black man, black woman in America. And people ask me why I don't use melanated more when I'm speaking, why, why I use black even. And it's a familiar term. Right. It's a familiar term. I'm not speaking to the historic facts of how those things were created, which I don't agree with, but it's familial. It's understanding to people, you know, even, but that's why the show is melanated because I understand the branding of everything, you know? So thank you for tuning in to another show. Happy to be back. Happy to be back with my sister, Sonia the creator of Ascribe Educational Consulting. You feel me? She get into your business and make sure y'all treating us right because every day we see y'all don't be treating us right. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes we need somebody to go in there and fix it for us. So today me and my, me and my sister Sonia are going to talk about a few things going on in the community. Um, you know, I'll advertise a few things as well, but I want to get right into it since we're yeah. we a little behind schedule. So my sister Sonia, first thing I'm going to play, right? is the NAACP in Florida is, is they passed it anonymously in their state. Right. They want to put together a travel advisory ban for black folks. Like, look, if you're going to come to the state of Florida, be advised, this is what we face with. And in actuality, I would say just hold off right. until the smoke clear a little bit. You know what I mean? Because Rhonda Santos, becoming a polarizing figure and it's really you know sometimes we have politicians who just flip it at the lip and they say things yeah. we don't like he's actually trying to put into some policies that will be very unfavorable to black folks so before i play the video sonia give me your quick thoughts on just the the idea that the naacp you know some people like them some people don't but they do stand for black folks what what do you think about them just initiating this and wanting to get it out there I wish that more of our organizations that have been the bedrock of our community were more courageous in this time as they were back in the civil rights movement. And I know that's a whole lot for some people to, you know, digest. But I think when I have conversations with older generations of folks, my parents, my grandparents, right, their age, they often say, we had the civil rights movement. We felt like we had made some accomplishments and then we dropped the ball. Mm -hmm. And then there was this black power. We are black and we are proud movement. And it kind of gave way, gave us permission to love ourselves in a way that we can handle this. We can go out and do anything we want to. And we forgot to continue to fight for those inequities in community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I just wish that the NAACP, the urban leagues, all of those old, you know, been in the community for a long time organizations would be more courageous now because it's, it's more dangerous today than I think it was, you know, back in the 60s. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to play the video quick real here, but uh, really quickly here. But I was I've I've heard about what the NAACP does for black people. I've seen a lot of their stances on things that go on with us. And sometimes it does seem like this is almost like an old guard. Like they yeah. they may mean well but they're losing touch with the fact just because you just said it all my sister we still fighting in the vigorousness we used in the 60s and the 70s i know we were forced to do it more because some of the racism was more overt right but still it's happening now so i appreciate them doing this but in all times like we need a, a very aggressive approach Absolutely. to racism a very unapologetic approach so i'm gonna play a clip because there, there there are some interesting things that are said here in this clip and you know i think this is this is something you know right. what i mean right. I, I i i understand how much more our black organizations can do but to say black folks stay out of this it, it creates a conversation that's necessary. i'll put it that way all right so let's listen to it real quick this is the naacp news report about the naacp talking about black folks you know hold off don't, don't come of to florida, florida like asking that. the national organization to issue a travel advisory warning black people not to come to our state. Local 10's Laren Livingston is live with reaction to this. It's pretty controversial, Laren. Yes, you may.
may be familiar with the term sundown town. It refers to places where black folks were historically advised not to be once the sun went down, as it were. Well, the NAACP of Florida says the Sunshine State as a whole may be one of those places. Florida is not safe for black people. Daniela Pierre is the president of the Miami-Dade branch of the NAACP. We are cautioning people when they come here, you're going to experience what we are experiencing. Pierre says she was in Orlando just a few days ago, along with other NAACP Florida State Conference members, unanimously voting to ask the national board to issue a travel advisory warning Black people to avoid visiting or moving to the state. Anytime there are policies that are going to be put in place that is going to impact and disrupt the quality of life of Black people and all people of color, we take that very seriously. Pierre and the Florida Conference point to the governor's anti-woke rhetoric. They point to the redrawing of the state's congressional maps, which has been legally challenged on the basis of race. They point to the modification of proposed AP African-American history classes and the push to do away with diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. All of those point to reasons that Florida is not safe for Black people. What a joke. What a joke. Yeah, we'll see how, we'll see how effective that is. Last week, the governor dismissed the idea as a stunt. And fine, if you want to waste your time on a stunt, that's fine. Look, I, I, I get, but I'm not wasting my time on your stunts, okay? This is not a stunt or a joke for the end of. Okay, so, so a few, me, me unmute you there, sister. Oh, there we go. Okay, so a few things that I take away from that video sonia so like we spoke about with the naacp I, I i appreciate any level any public action that denounces white supremacy from them right. i appreciate even though we can agree like a more of an aggressive front like the the um grassroots black folks in america there's a lot of them yeah they are figuring it out i would say the old guard should get with the grassroots organizations Absolutely. See what they doing? Because a lot of them are on the ground figuring things out where you guys are using old methods where we got to look at what's working. That's what I've been thinking about in my life, too. Like, what, if you've been doing something that ain't worked or it's not working effectively enough, you have to make some changes. Don't you think so, Sonia? Absolutely. I mean, that old adage, that old saying that if you keep doing the same thing and getting the same results, you might be a little bit crazy. Yep. And yep. we've been crazy committed, crazy loyal, crazy um, just loving to this country that our ancestors were stolen and brought here, for, you know, to. We've been crazy involved in the building of this country, but we've also been crazy about making sure that our voices are heard and, mm -hmm. and we are at the table. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel a certain way about the NAACP in, in regards to this is foundational grassroots organizing and we can't dis disrupt or deny the history that they've contributed to the fight and the voice that is Black folks today, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But I agree there needs to be a more aggressive stance. I will tell you that working with, I can remember being <laughs> my first approach for the NAACP. I was in college in Atlanta at Spelman. And um, there was a representative from the Atlanta um, chapter of the NAACP who came to our campus and was like, you know, become a member, become a lifetime member. It'll only cost you $25 to become a lifetime member. And I bought the lifetime membership because I was like, if I go back to California ever, all I need to do one is transfer. At least that's what they told me. And my lifetime membership wouldn't, I wouldn't have to pay dues ever again. Yeah. And I thought $25, even back in 1993, I thought that was a bargain. 
And so when I look back on those things, I say to myself, okay, there have been some volunteer efforts that I have been able to have opportunities to um, partake in and build in community with. There have been job opportunities and community opportunities that I and others have been able to connect with via this organization. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to think historically and chronologically as well, when the threat is on Black lives, how do we assert one, that voice and impact policy? Because at the end of the day, if these policies, like she said, are going to change the trajectory, the life expectancy, the, the quality of life of Black folks, I think everybody needs to take a stance and say something. It's powerful, more powerful when if I say something compared to when the NAACP as a collective says something. So there's something to be, you know, held about that. Mm -hmm. um, we just got to get, you know, some of these young bucks with the energy and the enthusiasm about today's technology and yeah. the that they can move in because they move differently than we do. We have to recognize that yeah. they got different things at their fingertips that they can fight and put information out way more expeditiously and and um, just than we can. Yeah. And so we don't I don't have that mindset. I can just say for myself, I don't have that mindset. I yeah. need young folks. I need to be able to pass the, the mantle, pass mm -hmm. the torch, mm -hmm. the baton. And we can't be mad at them if they mess up or if they have a hiccup. Right. Because. Yeah. Of the old school folks, they had lots of hiccups. And yeah. we saved them and we kept fighting. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes what happens too, because you're right, there, there needs to be a young influx of energy in all organizations that was started like in the early 1900s or, yes. you know, things change quickly. But I think sometimes with black folks specifically, once we get a position of power, once, once we get that spot, man, we want to keep that spot. You got to realize some of these brothers is coming from certain types of direct racism, their moms and grandparents being slaves. If I'm in control of something, sometimes it's difficult. And this is my opinion, family. Sometimes it's difficult for older black people to relinquish control of something that's given them so much admiration, like they've gotten so much respect from it. So, yeah, I'm 72 <laughs> and I may need to retire, yeah. but y'all ain't going to do it right. Right. You know what I mean? So sometimes you got to leg way for that type of thing. And really, all politicians who position themselves this way, because, look, if they're saying we don't like the policies that you're forth as as black people in this state, if your response is that's silly or whatever he said, whatever dismissive goddamn comment he just made. Yeah, this is real. This is why people don't trust you. And this makes it difficult to fight these uphill battles when you have men like this who are in control and it's obvious you want to erase our history pretty much you're not giving yeah. a good explanation because that's what i'll be looking for okay you want to create this policy let me listen to this person talk about why they want to dismantle said thing let me see if it yeah. makes sense and it never makes sense so sonia i mean we need to look at not just florida because homeboy said something very interesting to me at the beginning he said sundown town and yeah. i always talk about it we he was like, I want to make right? the state a sundown town. And that's real telling when you think about it, you know? Absolutely. And so people are not oblivious to there. I mean, there are folks out here who are aware and still alive to this day who experienced that firsthand. Mm -hmm. I can remember um, my parents when we were younger, we took a trip. I tell you this quick story. We took a trip. I was in the fifth grade. My mom's father died. She's from Chicago. We couldn't afford to fly all of us back to Chicago. So we planned to drive. We drove in two vehicles, my uncle and his kids and his wife, my mom, um, stepdad, and my sister and I. And as we're driving state to state, I was in the fifth grade my teacher, Miss Glover, love her to death. Um, she said, you're going to be gone for at least, you know, two or three weeks. Here's your assignment. In every state that you go to, I want you to write something about it. Take a picture, get a postcard, do a math calculation, like do calculate the distance that you travel. Tell me about the weather, all that kind of stuff. This is okay. going to be math, science, English, and all of that all into one little project. I can remember we got to Nebraska and we went into a gas station and um, my sister and I had to use the bathroom. My sister, my I, my little cousins had to use the bathroom. And the guy at the register said, those little niggas can't use the bathroom in here. Oh, wait, wait, Sonia, what year was that? This had to be like 1981. Damn. 
So my mom gathered us and everything and, and she was prepared. Like she had heard the stories from her parents and grandparents, um, but had not, you know, she'd been in California since she was 18. So she thought she left that kind of stuff behind mm. um, and that we had progressed as a complete nation. And so she was like, don't worry about it. We're going to pull off on the side of the road. I'm going to tell show y'all how to do a, a cop and a squat. <laughs> <laughs> but my uncle, who's a little, you know, hot headed, went back into the store and all I can remember was looking, you know, how you look as a kid, you looking yeah, in the window, yeah. out the window, seeing what's going on. And we had those roll down windows. We didn't have yeah. electric windows. Um, and I heard my uncle go into the store and he just start knocking shit all off the couch. Yeah. Shell. Rebel. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that's what it takes. When I hear stuff like that, I, right? I, I immediately ask the year because I think some people get it fucked up and think, when we talk overt racism, it's not a year thing. Right. It's still a location thing, family. Yeah. You can find yourself, like we was talking about the other day, you could be in a popping black city right. and travel 25 minutes <laughs> and got to stop somewhere and you get the nigga wake up call. Where right. when it's large, and we got to realize this because we, when you say the 80s, that's closer to the 70s and the 60s. So a lot of these places are still dealing with the residue. Still dealing but with it. In reality, it's the numbers thing. So yeah. if you go somewhere and it's there in large numbers, they're emboldened. That's it's, it. It almost does something to them when it's ninety of them and one of you. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. we need to be aware of that. And politicians who push things that obviously are going to be detrimental to people who look like me and you and just any brown person, any poor person. Yeah. You know what I mean? It seems like it it's was, more of a game than it anything. It was so sad because this was also during a time period where gas station, or at least old gas stations in the country at least, you know, would have a gas attendant that would come out and pump your gas and that kind of stuff. So yeah. this particular gas station had a little boy that probably was around the same age as me. And we were, as we were realizing that we needed to use the bathroom, I had started talking to the boy. And he was asking questions like, where are you from? And when I said California, he was like, oh my gosh, when I get older, I want to go to California. Oh man. So kid ever hmm. and when we were driving away he's mouthing i'm sorry oh i remember wow. this verbatim wow so that's very interesting generationally we know that one racism is passed down mm -hmm. it's taught from parent to child grandparent to child grandchild but we also know that young kids can begin to internalize right from wrong and make choices for themselves. We just have to hope there are more allies that are coming out of this next generation mm -hmm. and then the next generation even more than that. And then, so maybe that's the way that racism dies. Because, maybe, yeah. you know, yeah. if DeSantis, I don't know how young he is, but if he has it his way, be around at least in Florida for, you know, at least 20, 30 more years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think also, Sonia, that very interesting what you what you stated. But and what that young kid did, I think, is what honestly, I'm sure a lot of young white kids now and then yes. have grappled with. Like, I hear what my parents are saying, but I haven't I haven't had any experiences, any negative experiences with these people. So when I see a kid my age and we seven, we going to chop it up because what we got in common is the best thing to have in common at that age is Absolutely. being damn kids. So that kid you've seen, he would have had to go through a struggle of pretty much fighting his family. Hopefully, his, who knows if his mom felt that way or other people. Right. But if your father feel that way, Sonia, it's difficult for you to go against that, even if you do it with him in public and then in private feel a different way it still has to be conflicting yeah. so like you said they learn it at an early age yeah and it's unfortunate you know we mm -hmm. know that these are gen just like we have generational traumas that pass epigenetically within mm -hmm. our our body systems from generation to generation so does racism follow them and exactly. unfortunately that um it's the the benefit it's the privilege of like i don't think that i don't think that most well-intended white folks today are intentionally racist but you are born into privilege and benefits that you didn't earn on the backs of our ancestors who didn't also deserve the oppression mm -hmm. that we experienced who in That's our dna we experienced their trauma compounded on our trauma right mm -hmm. and so the cycle mm -hmm. continues I, I i think that it is it behooves us as a collective community to come together with folks who understand that this is a thing to say yeah it's not our fault 
Like I can live, I can, you and I can chop it up and be like, it ain't our fault that we carry this trauma. But likewise, our white brethren, our Asian brethren, our Latinx brethren, um, we have to be able to say to them, your privilege is not your, the, the, your entitlement is not your fault either. But we have to recognize that this thing creates entitlement and yep. it, it creates oppression. And mm-hmm. when we address that, then we can have some conversations. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's uncomfortable because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, we live in a resource rich country and it's enough for us, all of us to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Just Very because cool. you got a house and somebody else don't got a house and reparations might be paid to these people who don't got houses. Mm-hmm. Your house ain't going nowhere. Yeah, I need so to understand that. White that's something deeper. That's something deeper. I can be like, that's oh, true. I got to take your house from me, you, because we're giving reparations to black people. Yeah. No. That's yeah, because we because we pay taxes and, and money is funneled into a lot of bullshit that none of us quite understand or agree with. Absolutely. So what's the difference? So when you say that, I think it's always something deeper. And the last point I want to make about the Santos and everything going on in Florida, because something you were just mentioned about your interaction with that young person. I think it's important to know, like some of the stuff he doing when you attack our babies, that's that's the root. See, so when you say I'm going to make sure these young niggas don't get taught certain things well, you're attacking everything then, yes. because that's our future. That's that. That's how we going to move forward. And to me, it's it's just difficult me, uh, for me sometimes so get to interact with the, uh, the, the structure uh, America has created when they live on so many lies. And to me, it will be easy to tell the truth. You don't have to vilify anyone. The person that's going to be the villain is going to be the villain. Just tell the story. Tell the story. You don't have to personally villainize anyone, but to have us celebrating certain things and having statues of certain men, it's almost blasphemous, you know? So I just want us to do better as a society, but maybe we don't have to do it ourselves with our children because the powers that be ain't really rocking with us like that. So next thing I'm going to talk about with my sister, Sonia, because she sent me, so you can speak on it if you want. She sent me a video about four girls, three girls who went missing. And I think the story is that they were drowned. I didn't get much information about the story. Can you fill me in, Sonia, on um, any information you have? Literally, you know, you had some siblings who who drowned. There wasn't a a search party that went out for them. And um, the question begins it continues. It doesn't begin. It continues because it's the, it's the evolving, you know, cycle of the value of black life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we don't put efforts into saving the survival of the thrivability of, I'm just not talking about making it. I'm talking about, I want to be successful too. Mm -hmm. Right. If we are not putting efforts into these kind of issues, then we have to question what are we really trying to preserve in this country? And so these yeah. four little, these four little girls, um, you know, they were in a tragic accident and it was not believed that they, you know, that this could have happened the way that it was described to have happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, it makes me sad because I, I just can remember how many times we talk, we saw stories back in the eighties and the nineties about poly class, like, right. Yeah. I remember Uh, the laws that were changed under the, the, the spirit of preserving and protecting little white girls. Mm -hmm. Right. Not just here in this country, but even abroad. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, it harkens me back to when I was in the second grade and I made the decision not to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And the teacher, she was very intentional about not calling on me. Like she made, she, she wanted me to know what my place was. Mm. And so, um, I had made the observation, even, you know, I, 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 maybe I was an old soul and some people say that I am, but I, my conclusion about the Pledge of Allegiance was there's no liberty and justice for all because black folks ain't getting liberty and justice. I recognized that at age seven. Mm-hmm. But I also recognized while I was in her classroom and she wouldn't answer my questions, she used to call on this little white girl named Jennifer. So one day we had free writing time. And so I wrote on, wrote, an essay on change my name to Jennifer because I'm smarter than her, <laughs> more brilliant than her, 
But the only name you call in class is Jennifer. So call me Jennifer. Too. <laughs> I'm going to tell my mama to go down to the courthouse and change my name to Jennifer. So that when you do call Jennifer's name, maybe we both will be confused when we both raise our hands. Or she won't because I'm faster and smarter than her. And so that was my epiphany that, dang, this teacher, she said I was smart because I was in a gate class. But I don't think she really trusted my abilities. And so mm -hmm. she isolated me and she didn't allow me to speak and, and, and be inquisitive and question. And so she tortured me for a whole school. <laughs> yeah, no. And that, and that happens a lot because me and my brother Jermaine yesterday actually was talking about black, black male teachers and how there aren't a lot of black males going into teaching. And I read yeah. an article, Sonia, that spoke to the fact that some of the, some black males don't want to go into the teaching profession because of their treatment as a black student yes being like criminalized remain kind of broke it down for me like you know some black kids they associate their first authority figures right. with someone white at school it's like police or white yes. teacher so we're not looking at a teacher as a profession that we want to go into and all this plays into what we're saying because just how we're treated in school and the history aspect Absolutely. the public school system is failing it purposefully like like they wanted to so uh -huh. everybody can be employees and be you know what i mean we we broke all that down yesterday but that's serious and i yeah. think like the missing the one thing i wanted to talk about in that regard is just the amount of missing young girls yeah. the amount of missing women in this country like in 2020 i think it was reported reported it was like 90,000 missing black women and i read a pretty nice article that just broke down how that number isn't spoken about a lot. Right. Like it's it's not a topic of conversation or something that we use um, as an alarm. Like we don't see these little black girls on billboards. We don't see the right. adult black women on billboards. So all of this, Sonia, just speaks to the the society we live in, right? Like sometimes we don't want to speak to people I know do not want to speak to the racist aspects of society. They say no, that's based on money. That's based on economics. Well, I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of shit that's based on all of that. And then when you put race on top of that, top the individual has no shot yeah. at all. Right, Sonia, wouldn't you say that? Absolutely. And, and that's part of the problem. It's like, who's valued and who's not? And who's telling the narrative to say who's more valuable? Yeah. And while, you know, you and I might subscribe to an, and I, I'm, I'm just going to take a leap of faith and, and, and say collectively black folks, if they wanted to get some get back, you would know that we would get some get back, but collectively we haven't to a degree that is, um, like retribution that is like, um, an eye for an eye, because if that were the case, we would have done some things collectively mass, you know, generation after generation mm -hmm. to speak to the fact that we ain't going to let y'all do this. We move in love. I think that the, 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 the master design of the dominant DNA gene of a black gene, right? Because they say a, a, a drop of black blood is you, it's going to show up some kind of way. Some feature is going to reveal itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, part of, I think that DNA is that love factor, that, that humanity factor that I care and I have empathy factor. Mm -hmm. Whereas the more diluted that, that, that dominant black G DNA um, is from a person mm -hmm. and, and the proximities towards whiteness begin to reveal themselves. I think that we, we as a people lose our empathy muscle. We, we weaken mm -hmm. our ability to have love for um, one another. The, mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I, I think about with this story um, of the three sisters in um um, um, Texas, it was Texas. They were five, eight, nine, and they were supposedly had drowned, but they were also supposedly had been uh, like accosted verbally accosted by a white neighbor, um, earlier in that day. And mm -hmm. so it was said that they were kind of ran down to the pond and they were trapped and, you know, mm -hmm. what happened ended up being their fate, but you got three little beautiful black sisters who, um, ultimately ended up dead in a pond. And we looking yeah. around like we don't believe that one, that it happened. And yeah. you telling a mother that, um, no, this, this couldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And the people who live around here are caring, loving people in this community. Yeah. Nonetheless, you had a, um, a district attorney 
who was like, I'm not going to pursue this case. They found right. their bikes and everything near the pond. Yeah. And people just need to realize that. that's a, this, a, 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 a lot of this is based on just commonality and how you feel about the person that you're looking at. Because yeah. when we look at the poly class and like all the young white women that we've seen on billboards that there's been documentaries about, right. tell me the five or six documentaries about the missing black women right. that have been missing in America. It, 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 it just doesn't exist. Doesn't right. Happen. And I think a lot of that is just based on the, the person you're looking at, how you feel about them. Sometimes Absolutely. if you're looking at somebody that looked like you, you say, okay, that could be my daughter. That could be my son, my brother in the fucked up part about America. A lot of folks outside of our race, particularly white people, everybody else learned from them, right? But particularly white people, they don't they look at us and they see something else. So that shit goes to a child too. They used to feed Absolutely. our babies to alligators. alligators. Like this shit ain't this is fucked up, man. Yes. But this shit ain't nothing new. None On of it's Sundays, picnics, we getting in our Sunday best, and I'm taking yeah. my children to yeah. watch. We're gonna pick a nigga. That's yeah, what the name, now. the term picnic comes from. Yeah. We're going to pick a nigga, hang him, and we're going to watch this as a family. And exactly. then we're going to take pictures and turn them into postcards. Mm -hmm. So we already talked about um, last week, um, you know, one of our sheroes in community who began to document lynchings, mm -hmm. right? And so we can't ignore this thing. And let me just also give a shout out to Gabrielle Union because Gabrielle Union, with her celebrity and her platform said, we ain't going to be quiet about the disappearances of black girls and black women in this country anymore. She has a nonprofit and a foundation specifically designed to raise money that when these things happen, it's like we, we don't got to call 911. We're going to call, you know, the Batmobile or, or whatever to get that that um, that black superhero. We're going to get we're going to call Wakanda. Yeah. Um, to have us come save us if mm -hmm. nobody else wants to come and show up and take our lives seriously. Yeah. Shout out to Gabrielle Union. I will even say here in Sacramento, there's a um, a woman in community, Rolanda Watkins, who d used to do a podcast. And every Sunday she would bring up the numbers of bl missing black women mm. and, and girls um, and the numbers not only are they missing because of intercommunal things, they're missing because of sex trafficking. They're missing because uh, of yeah. outside community forces. So yeah, the yeah. force against black women is an attack from all fronts. And I will mm -hmm. never forget the words of Malcolm X, who said the black woman is the most unprotected, un, um, 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 uh, unsupported, you mm -hmm. know, human on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And so we have to begin to think about that because at the end of the day, we still the ones who one have um, that are the foundation of the black community. But secondly, yeah. we are the one that's left vulnerable when they've sent our black men out of our family, when we yes. put our black boys in prison, mm -hmm. when the target mm -hmm. is through the prison pipeline. And now mm -hmm. that target is also on black girls. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, we have to really reevaluate us as a community, how yeah. we interact with one another, because that colonial, that that colonist, that white supremacist mindset is a part of our problem, too. That's damn. I was just thinking, like, how I was going to respond to everything you said. And you just summed it up for me, because, yes, I think the, the missing black girl thing, I was going to ask you, like, you know, let's talk. It's the travesty, but let's dig into yeah. why are they missing? Right. Yeah. So you have a racist front where unprotected children in certain environments become subject to to different things that happen based on the racism in the area and when they yeah. become missing nobody cares sometime we have dysfunction that has been created in our family which may make your young girl a target for some form of sex trafficking right i have to keep it real because sometimes in our community our young men will um brag about the fact that they're a part of the sex trafficking industry right. and it may sound cool on a beat but in right. reality it's the same shit we're talking about right now Absolutely. because those of us who have daughters or granddaughters ain't no way we would want something to happen to them but Absolutely. if we do the research we know a lot of young women who fall into that lifestyle sem voluntarily or semi-voluntarily right. it's because of what's been lacking whether Absolutely. it's the mom, whether it's the love, whether it's the foster home system you've been put in. So a part of this is like as a community, global community. So you white, black, Mexican, 
whatever your race is, if you didn't do this, if you didn't do yeah. certain things with your child, with your daughter, if you had her in turmoil, if you've never sought to be a responsible parent, you're leaving her open for the predator. See, because yeah. sometimes these women are taken um, when they don't want to be taken, like beyond their constraint, right? That happens at times, but sometimes they're looking for something. Yeah. Like I, I, we, Sonia, we have to be honest. Don't we you think that's a fact? We have to be honest about it. And I equate missing girls and women to um, gang interaction for boys. I, I think it's mm. the same phenomenon, that same thing that they're, that girls are missing. Like, I, I mean, you know, I don't know no anybody's community anybody's family um across the world who had doesn't have that perverted uncle whoever right and so sometimes because of circumstance we ignore what uncle such and such has done in touching and violating and um forcing young girls to mature faster um than they need to mm -hmm. at the same time I, the threat against you know boys and i know the focus is on the missingness of of girls and, and women but the, that same danger is on the back of boys who don't have anything to do or they don't have a father in the home to give them guidance or um they they might even be experiencing the belittling because mm -hmm. a woman who is not even maybe not being equipped or prepared to raise a son, you know, gives that son more responsibilities um, and calls him little man when he's five, you know, and, and the connotation of hearing, oh, you a little man, you know, buck up, don't cry, take this, go down the street and do this. And that responsibility begins mm -hmm. to be, I just want to be a little boy, but you put me out here in a vulnerable space where yeah. I now have to, I can't, you know, harness in on what it means to be a child. And so I go and I do things that, you know, are reminiscent of man-like behavior. Yeah, like, maybe let me go and yeah. give me some cigarettes. I mean, yeah. I can remember, you know, us as kids, you know, you remember they had those little cigarettes you can go buy at the little yeah. dollar. Candy, it, yeah. candy cigarettes, gum yeah. or whatever it was. And yeah. you were acting like we smoking, but really, yeah. truly, we were being conditioned to be grown. Right? Very we, true, and we that happens a lot. Cigarettes, so yeah. we were conditioned in our mind that this is a behavior that grown folks do, and I want to be grown yeah. surely. Yes. So it's a it's a phenomenon that affects male and females mm -hmm. um, differently, but it's the same effect. Like yeah. I'm missing from my family. I'm missing from the narrative of us having unity and there yeah. being a collective responsibility to one another. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that, you know, even me as a black woman, when I'm walking down the street, I too, because of racism and white supremacy, I might clutch my bag if I saw five little black boys across the street not knowing who they are and what the, what they might do to me. Hmm. This is, damn, this is, this is deep, Sonia, because we always talk about, people talk about the gang violence and right. just young people who wreak havoc on society being a young man, young women who choose to do things with their body and have several kids and do all of this, right? And we all see it. We all have people in our family. I've been there, like, right. operating from a certain level of dysfunction, like right. a certain level that's not going to be beneficial to you or anybody around you in the long run. And, and a lot of us have been there. But like I always tell people, and I, and, I, and I never let nobody not focus on, okay, let me know where this person came from. Absolutely. Who raised them? Was it parents? Was it dysfunctional? So now if it is, then they're working from a deficit and they're going to have to work to get through these dysfunctions. And society sometimes makes it seem like it's easy to not have parents in structure and yeah. become a lawyer or a doctor or LeBron. Yeah. Excuse me. Some of these people got there in spite of their circumstances, not because of their circumstances. And that's rare. That's a rare human that gets bombarded with disenfranchisement in a bad hand Absolutely. and flips it and makes it. That's the American dream, but it ain't the American reality. You know what I mean? Right. 
Absolutely. When I do trainings, I always start off my trainings with who your people and where they from. Mm -hmm. and, and I ask that question in a way to like kind of get people to think about their birth and circumstance. Like what was that one thing that you can identify? How old were you? What did it feel like? What did it smell like to describe the scenery of what that one event in your life that changed the trajectory or, you know, could have changed the trajectory of your life. And for black and brown folks, unfortunately, that thing typically happens earlier rather than later. And it is the change. It's not for white folks and for those who have a higher, a closer proximity to whiteness, the, the, it's the opportunity that that thing could have changed um, mm, um, their life. That makes Whereas sense. For black and brown folks, it is more likely that it did change the trajectory oh, of um, their life. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're two 13-year-olds and this thing is facing in front of us, but if you are white or a proximity to whiteness, it might be a thing that changes your life, but somebody's going to give you the benefit of the doubt in a second mm. chance. But for a black or a brown or a poor person, that thing is more likely to change your life. And we have to realize what the birth and circumstance is because when we get into collective space with each other, right? Not in a forced situation like public education is, right? We have mm -hmm. to go to school to age. That's the law, right? Mm -hmm. Past that, when we go into the workforce, what do we believe and what are our behaviors that are indicative of our birth and circumstance? Mm. How See, do we show up in the world? Yeah. How do we show up in the world? And I think this society can do a better job in meeting people like being um, social with people. You would fare better by trying to determine their Absolutely. where they come from and just their story. Right. That always helps. But also. You need to know if you're a person struggling from this. Right. You need to be aware if you didn't have parents, if you didn't have structure, if you didn't have certain things, there's a level of awareness you have to yes. create and then understand a lot of your actions may be because I've done this. I know a lot of people who never had a family, mm -hmm. but trying to run a family. Mm -hmm. I repeat, I know a lot of people who never had a family, yes. but they're trying to be the leader or co-leader of a family, well, I'm here to tell you, there's a good uh, chance you don't know what the hell you're doing. But absolutely. the beauty of it is, <laughs> if you know you don't know what you're doing, then you can learn. Yeah, You get to re figure out any mechanism you have available to you yeah. to get knowledge on. Sometimes it may seem like basic things, Sonia, but if you have a man and a woman who've never lived in a household with a man and a woman, how do they know how to be a man and a woman in the household? Yep. I, you know, when my husband and I met, we had that, that, that was a hot topic conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he didn't grow up in the household with his father and I grew up in a, in a two, three parent household ish, mm -hmm. right? Because my mother remarried my, um, uh, remarried and I had, I had the benefit of having two beautiful, um, black men as role models in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and both of them loved me to pieces. Right. And so I had no, I had a support system that it, even if I tried to go to my daddy for something behind my mother and my papa's back, they were going to make sure that they were all on the same page. Right. And, care. And it, it was a, a wonder sometimes when, you know, my sister and I would be put in situations where we would be like, oh, well, I'm going to call my daddy. And mm -hmm. my mama and my papa would be like, go ahead, go ahead, go, try that if you want to. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But there is a, my husband and I, he didn't grow up with the benefit of his father um, being present. And so it was a conversation of, I noticed, you know, as someone who grew up in a household who had two parents three parents most of the time available to me, I began to notice that he overcompensates for things that he didn't have. Mm -hmm. But because you didn't have certain things, there's a factor in not knowing how to be present in the moment. Like yeah. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to be a provider. I am going to be, make sure that my kids don't go without, make sure that my wife got the, you know, the best of everything. But when it comes to being present, Mm. men oftentimes struggle because they don't they've never experienced someone being present for them yeah and this is true and this is so and i think that like i personally don't feel like you can be my age let's say you're a 40 year old man and you're using that excuse you tell your woman hey i'm not 
doing well because uh, my father wasn't president or a man wasn't president. You can say, I'm just now realizing right. I'm not doing well right. because of these things. Because once we realize it, it is up to us to try and do the work. And just that level of acknowledgement can help you when you get into an argument with your woman or you get into a situation with your child yes. where you may not be keeping your word or you may not be doing something that really is just principled man thing. This is, I'm yeah. speaking for me now. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. sometimes right. as a man, if you didn't see these things, you have to recognize it and say, okay, boom. That's something I'm not doing well. So when when information about that comes back to me from said family member or loved right. one, I'm gonna receive it the right way. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Sony, that's a real deep thing that I think we can always talk about because like who we are now is always a product of of our childhood. People sure. at times negate that fact. That's why I'm so um cautious about yeah. how people have children because i say okay i know what i had to go through just being a young person without resources yeah. without the state of mind right and the stability to have a child when you couple that with dysfunction when you couple that with racism when you couple that with all the other ills of society awesome. you create a child that may end up doing well but the, it 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 severely lowers yeah his chances. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so we should we, uh, we should be aware of all of these things. So great conversation, my sister. Now, something else I want to talk about real quick before we get to, because it's the Women's History Month. Still Women's uh, History. So we got one more day at this thing, you know what I mean? And I found somebody that I didn't know. Everybody else I've talked about, I'm not going to lie, I've known about them. So it was like, eh, right, right. Lay up. this person I didn't know about, so this is beautiful, and I can talk about her. But um, one thing I want to bring up before then, Sonia, like the mass shootings in America. If anybody doesn't know, a few days ago, um in Nashville, yeah. there was a young lady and Audrey Hale, I think her name is, 28-year-old white lady, walks into a school, a school that she attended at one point. Yeah. She walks into a school, open fires on women, children. She kills six people. And when I see, of course, like seeing people, innocent people die, everybody's going to be triggered by that. Everybody's going to be hurt by that, right? And, and that's something we should all feel. But yeah. I'm getting a little irritated with the fact that we're not calling this shit what it is. Right. These young white folks is wilding, America. Yeah. What's going on with your young white people? The amount of mass shootings per year. I forgot the number. It was like 200 and something. And we The numbers on the mass shooting shit is... It'll blow your mind, right? Then you have to go and look and say who, because this is what America do to everybody else. Who is doing this? Who is doing said crime? You find that person, and what America does, they find you, and then they villainize you. Hey, America, stay away from a Muslim. Yeah. Stay away from an Arab. Stay away from a Mexican. Stay away from somebody black. This is real shit. So I'm really? getting kind of tired of the propaganda behind it because America, what are you going to do with your white teens? Yeah. Why are they so goddamn upset? Always leaving manifestos. Most of the time it's some racist shit. Sometimes it may seem like it's not this young lady, Andrea Hale, Sonia, they're saying that the, the topic of the news article, Sonia, is she was coping with the death of a close friend. What? Crazy. Coping with the death of a, see y'all throwing them the layup. See y'all throwing them the lob right. of, he was he was a little crazy. This is a one off. Right. This isn't all of us. This is a one off. But there's a bigger problem we're witnessing. Right, Sonia? There is a, a much bigger problem that we're witnessing. So let's also contextualize a couple of things with this particular story. And I don't want to say that this is indicative of all mass shootings. So I, I looked up really quickly the stat for 2023 thus far, 125 mass shootings. It's March, y'all, like three months yeah. into this year, 125 times there has been a mass shooting. Mm. In this particular case, um, I think that, that they're making an excuse to spin the narrative that this person was dealing with the death of a friend. Mm -hmm. Here's what we also know about this individual. This is a trans woman who was born a male. Most of the time, mass shooters are white males, right? Mm -hmm. So even though she was going through the process of becoming a trans woman, she was born a male. So whatever that testosterone thing is, still is in this person. Secondarily, in the state of Tennessee, they are having this huge... Um, um, 
uh, attack on the LBGTQ and trans community because they are trying to make it a law that you that trans people can't even show up in community that that drag as an expression of of dress is going to be illegal in the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Third, the third thing that has come out with respects to this individual is that when they went attended this school, this particular school, they were vilified for being a trans person or a part of the LBGTQ community. So Mm. I just want to, I don't want to make excuses for the decisions that this individual made in going back. But again, we don't know someone's birth and circumstances that led them to make the decision that I got to do this thing under the auspice of this is how it affected me. Because Mm. at end of the day killing three children and some adults at a school that you attended and tying it back to the trauma and pain i'm gonna tell i would tell that person or anybody who's thinking about going to get a gun if your trauma from your childhood was so horrible and you are over the age of 25 it's time for you to seek therapy and to begin Mm -hmm. to heal you instead of continue to blame the people who were from your past Mm -hmm. because at this point they are no longer a factor in your pain you are the factor that controls the existing or the perpetual yeah. of your pain. If you're going to let it continue, that means you accepting that you wallowing in that pain and you need to do something about it. I have this conversation with my 24 year old just today. He reminds me as some children sometimes do that. We are not perfect parents mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I have never worn the flag that I'm a perfect parent. And so he told, he's been telling me, you know, reminding me, mom, you were a bully and you were a terrorist. And I, I would be like, yeah, I did some things. <laughs> I did. And you know what, son, I'm sorry that you still, that still comes back to you. Huh. What I need you to do now is I need you to face those things as a grown man and not a 12 year old. What I need you to do is face these things of what am I going to do to change the narrative now? Like that's deep, Sonia. That's right? deep because see, because if uh, I held on to all the yeah, pain from what happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many things that I can account and be like, I'm going to be stuck there. Yeah. I'm going to be stuck there. And I think sometimes, and I've struggled with this where, you know the errors of your past. Yeah. And you're attempting to do better. You may be doing better, but it's still a trigger for you. So somebody can bring up something that you did in the past and they know they can do that and that leads you to doing said thing for them. That's a real thing. But you said it the best way because sometimes I I don't like when parents expect kids to move on without addressing the issue. If if you, if, if there was things going on in my childhood where you weren't there for me or we didn't have certain things. I had to, whatever it may be, I have to acknowledge it. if it happened. Cause you know, if it happened or not, Yeah. then you tell me, hey, like I'm to be sorry. Transparent. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've had to sit with as mm-hmm. a parent, as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter, I've had to sit with because, and this, I, that's a, for me, it was a, it's a beautiful gift that I have. Uh, one of my children is at least being able to be honest and be like, let me tell you something, chick. You was mm-hmm. not all that because this is how it <laughs> impacted me. I could be wearing the, you know, the t-shirt like mama of the year. Or, you know, <laughs> I, I'm that mom that's going to show up. I'm yeah. her. But at home, you know, I, I always hear this thing, especially, I, and I hated it when I was raising my children. White folks, older white folks would come up to my husband and I when our kids were out with us at a restaurant and, and they would go, oh, they're so well behaved. And I would hate that. I'd be like, first off, they're not animals. They're not little pets. Right. <laughs> but secondarily, I'm being like, I, the question to me is why ain't your kids well behaved when they're in social settings? You don't because- mean, Matt, yeah, your kids is running around right now. Right. <laughs> they right behind us running. You're damn right. Absolutely. And it would really bother me. But, you know, my kids would be like, you one person at home. And in my mind, I'd be like, y'all want people when we go out in public. <laughs> y'all yeah. tear us too when we get. So it's a give <laughs> and take. I think that we learn parenting. And hopefully, if you have the opportunity to have multiple children, you get better with each child. Mm-hmm. Um, my my currently 21-year-old, he's 22. I'm like, take that back. He's 22. He tells me all the time, you slipping. Because I would have been got my butt whooped. If it was yeah, when they, we was younger, we so my yeah. first three they remind us with our younger three that we did some things, and I have to remind them 
I learned some things over the year and, and years and the traumas that you're dealing with and living with as an adult, maybe they won't have to deal with, you know, yeah. when they get to your age. So you grow. Yeah, you grow. I've and, grown. I've evolved yeah. a little bit. Yeah. At, give me a little bit of credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, Sonia, as long as you acknowledge what you did to your children, you, you can't allow them to use that as why the they're not doing what they're supposed to do because that so my call it can to be used that, for absolutely to my call to that school and to that community in Tennessee is like we have to begin to have some conversations about the things that we are doing to children when we ignore trauma and bullying and things that are going on and we don't do nothing about it because I legitimately believe that this person may have experienced some things at that school that were not right. And yeah, no one has addressed saying. that, right? I see what you're because saying. Because LBGTQ plus folks have mm -hmm. experienced some things that you and I as cisgender people mm -hmm. have not experienced. And we and have to call yeah. a thing a thing. Like mm -hmm. even in the black community, when we calling somebody a sissy, I, my dad told me a story when my god sister came out of the closet. She came out, she said, um, uncle, um, god dad, I want to tell you that I'm gay. And he said, the hell you are. And my dad's a preacher, you know. Mm -hmm. So he got, she had that as a strike against her. It was hard for him to wrap his mind around that. And so I, over the years, have had conversations with um, dad, you know, your goddaughter needs you. She didn't, she's never had a, a father father in her. You are, you are it, hmm. right? And so he came to me. He's now in his mid to late 70s. And he came to me like maybe about a year ago. And he said, I want to tell you a story. When I was a young kid in the church, there was a piano, our choir director, and he was the baddest like can blow. But my family would always tell us he a sissy. Mm. Don't hang out with him outside of the church. Mm -hmm. Later on in life, he ran into him as an adult. And seeing him as an adult, my father was like, oh, my God, he's strung out on drugs. Nobody accepted him. And mm -hmm. so he turned to the streets. Yeah, we see we see the examples of that all the time. Yep. Right? And you see, I didn't know. I heard like I mentioned when we first started that story that she was transgender. But see, that that speaks yeah. to because, right, we do see the times where it's a white supremacy base of what's taking place right it's it, it's it's based on that but sometimes it's a kid that was hurt like it was a kid that was bullied now we can't deny that a lot of black kids don't go into school and react this way but right. this is how a lot of white children react and you mentioned that yeah she's transitioning into a woman but still a man now you see yeah. what i'm saying that's yeah. important to note because you can treat kids a certain way and that's a that's a private school or a church school or something like that i'm sure yes. you know what i mean so sometimes that's a religious thing too yeah. where a lot of us come from these religious backgrounds and we believe in what the bible say not using the to me like the reality of the day like mixing right. it with the love you have to have for an individual because i always tell people if you have a cousin a brother or whatever and you reject them well you can go ahead and do that but the trajectory of their life is gonna change. Some of them yes. use it as empowerment, but sometimes they can go strung on drugs. They'll they'll go, it'll be worse if you say, Hey, don't come because you can say, Hey, look, I'm okay with you being gay, but right. don't bring that shit over here. Well, right. you're not okay with me being gay. No, you see what I'm saying? So you have to find a way to create resolve in yourself. And me personally, I always go to if it's my son or a, a young man that's very close to me, I want to make sure. Just to be honest, there was no molestation or anything right. that took place. Right. I want to make sure you were safe as a young person. If it's just right. a choice you're making, we can have that conversation. But I'm not going to bully you into doing what I want you to do. Because if I tell any person I love, stay away from me. Right. That's showing I don't respect what you got going on. You know what I mean? Right. So that's important. Now, before me and Sonya get out of here. Oh, and one last thing about the Nashville shooting and all that stuff going on. Like, I think. It, like I said, I'm always um, empathetic with people that get killed that are innocent, but America has to do a better job of labeling things what it is, because when yeah. other people do crime or do things you feel is detrimental to society, you make sure you publicize it. You make sure you make them the target damn near, yeah. right? So yeah. we don't have it in America where we see a young white man in a trench coat or a long coat or anything we think is suspicious. Nobody looking at him like he could do something to somebody. Right. But we put these labels on everybody else. So we got to ask ourselves, why is America not addressing like the white supremacy problem the way they need to when a lot of these young white kids always get some type of excuse 
as we've seen with this young lady. Now, yeah. last thing we're going to talk about before me and Sonya get out of here. There is, this is the last day of Women's History Month. Yeah. Right, Sonya? So I found one more woman we're going to talk about today, family. And this is someone that I wasn't aware of. Like I mentioned, all the other women have been women that I had in my mind already. So I just kind of looked up some stuff just for clarity. But this yeah. woman I wasn't aware of. So her name is Lucy Diggs Slow. Now, Lucy Diggs Slow, she was born in 1885, died in 1937. She was a graduate of the School of Arts and Scientists in 1915. She was a woman of many firsts. So dig this, y'all. Slow was one of the original 16 founders of AKA. Uh, did I say it right, Sonia? Yeah. AKA, right? AKA I'm sorority, which is a person. very popular black sorority to this day. But she was one of the first members of that uh, uh, sorority. She was one of the nine original founders of the sorority in 1908 at Howard University. Yep. In 1922, she was appointed the first dean of women at Howard University. In addition to that, she created and led two professional associations to support college administrators. So at a at like a early age, you know what I mean? She was doing a lot of things that are impressive. And something that really impressed me, Sung, and that Slow was also a tennis champion, winning the national title of the American Tennis Association right. first tournament in 1917. So this is the start of all the tournaments that we see Serena and right. all of them playing in. So she won the first tournament that they had that they allowed black people to participate in. Excuse me. She actually won that tournament. So this was a powerful sister. So you, you knew about her already, right? I did. I did. It was so funny because, um, at the beginning of women's history month, I was reminded of her when you, you remember the movie school days. Um, mm -hmm. Um, and that scene about good hair, black hair, and it was almost like this divide between the, the sororities. The yeah. AKAs were traditionally the more prim and proper light-skinned women, and the Deltas and the Zetas were more of the dark-skinned, rough-around-the-edges black women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it took me back to my time at Spelman, which is a historically black college. And so I was thinking to myself, I remember this, hearing the story um, about the founding of the AKAs. And not only was this woman so, you know, amazingly um, brilliant in her organizing efforts to bring AKAs, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, um, to the forefront as the first female sorority, she was instrumental in like a lot of organizing for student rights, for educator rights. Um, but it's so funny in her story, which a lot of people don't know is, Part she was so outspoken that the prim and properness of being an AKA almost bit her in the butt because some of these other women were like, "Why are we trying to be so radical?" Mm -hmm. And it's always it, yeah. it just you know it reminds me of myself a little bit because you know I get questioned by black folks. I'm sure you get questioned a lot yeah. by black folks. Like, why we always got to talk about black stuff? She <laughs> was that chick in the yeah. room like they were asking her so they almost like did a coup on her and tried to kick her out of the sorority that she founded mm. and that's you know one of part of her legacy and she stood she was like nope we ain't changing our bylaws and we ain't changing none of this i founded this and we gonna do this and that's she dope. stood on it she was a very dope and brilliant and strong um individual i'm glad that you were you are now acquainted with her Mm -hmm. And I seen while we were talking, I just read that she started the first junior high school in Washington, D.C. Yes, yes. She in, was in, in 1919. I'm yeah. not surprised about that. She was in mm -hmm. education. She was big in it. So, yes, thank you for reminding um, um, us of her. I would just, as we end this Black History Month, ask us to think about um, the indigenous people, the indigenous Black people who were here before Christopher Columbus and them. And I say mm. that loosely because we know Christopher Columbus wasn't the first colonizer who came here. Mm -hmm. He just got the kudos because yep. really and truly, if you know a little bit about history, uh, Amerigo Vespucci from Italy got here before Christopher Columbus who claimed America for Spain. So mm -hmm. with that being said, the Africans were coming over here and had, and it's so ironic to me, Florida, Florida, Florida keeps on coming up. Yeah. The Seminole and the Creek Indians had a lot of indigenous Africans and mixed with them in their um, tribes. Mm -hmm. And so when we say, Black folks who think that they got native or indigenous in them, at least with those two tribes, you can trace back indigenous folks. And mm. there were 
both of those tribes in particular were led by indigenous black women. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard a lot about those tribes in, in, in Florida and being in the swamp and how they were a part of a lot of wars that yes. took place and just the beauty of that region. Yeah, definitely, definitely, my sister Sonia. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Melanated Combo Podcast. Oh, before I forget, everybody, if you want to get the shirts, this is like a mock-up shirt I made that say Melanated Family, but we got the podcast shirts. Yes. We have the podcast shirts that have the podcast logo on it. We have the shirt that says Melanated State of Mind. Both of these shirts are available right now. You can hit me at Melanated Combo 100. Hit my DM. I have all the pictures of the shirts and everything lined up on my Instagram page. You can email me at melanatedconvopod um, at gmail.com. Sizes and colors. I can tell you everything that's available. Send you an invoice. We can get that thing popping. And Precision Design Studio is my new business, everybody. So if you know somebody who need digital flyers, yeah. if you know somebody who need a logo for their business or some hobby or endeavor they have, Tell them, holler at me. The flyer and all the information is on my Instagram as well. Um, we do bulk shirt orders. So if you know someone who needs shirts for a, for a game or for an event they're having, for a business gathering, any of those things, we can definitely do the shirts for you as well. So holler at me, uh, precisiondesign47 at Gmail, or call me. My number is 916-202-6684. If you're interested in ordering a shirt, if you're interested in ordering bulk shirts, all of that, Holla at your boy. So, Sonia, tell everybody where they can reach you. Reach me at ascribe, A-S-C-R-I-B-E, success.com. All right. All right. Simple enough. And again, my Instagram is Melanated Convo 100 on Instagram. This has been another great episode of the Melanated Convo podcast family. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Your brother, Harrison, Sonia Williams-Lewis, we out.